Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for your word and we pray that it would uh, just be unveiled to us right now, that you would open our eyes and and help us to see it more clearly so that we might see you more clearly. Um, Please speak to our hearts and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So tonight, um, like everyone's night so far this year, we're going through the Bible in overview form, one book a week. Uh, tonight brings us to the book of Ruth. And Mariah asked me before we came to church, she said, do you like teaching a short book better than a long book? And I said, I don't know. I haven't taught a short book yet this year. Um, so Ruth uh, finds us in the historical period. Um, we talked about, you know, the first five books of the Bible are sometimes called the Pentateuch or the law, they're the books of Moses, and then we get into the history period of Israel. And that's going to take us from the book of Joshua all the way through the book of Esther. And so Ruth lands us in the middle of that. Um, and Ruth is really a, a little asterisk on the end of the book of Judges. And if you remember last week, we talked about how Judges is just one failure after another. And it's the people of Israel failing to obey the Lord. It's the people of Israel failing to walk in obedience, failing to deal with compromise. And the summary verse for the book of Judges is in, uh, it's in the last, last verse of the book, actually. And it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see that as the, really the recipe for just national chaos. But even when things get to a stage like that, uh, even when things are falling apart or when a nation seems like it's going off the rails, the Lord is always still working in the lives of individuals. And we got to see that to some extent through the lives of the judges last week. But tonight, uh, in the book of Ruth, we really get a beautiful picture of that. Because Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, says, Now it came about in the days when the judges ruled. So Ruth is going to open up for us right in the middle of the book of Judges. And if you remember, the book of Judges is fairly intense. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of immorality. There's a lot of, um, you know, just... There's a lot of graphic living, honestly. Um, and we're going to get this little story tucked in the middle of that. So um, from a kind of a big picture perspective, all right, uh, Ruth is probably written while David was king in Israel, just because at the end of the book it gives us some specific references toward that. A lot of people say it might have been written by Samuel the prophet. We're really not positive. Um, that's a tradition has said for a long time, so... There's no reason to necessarily doubt that. Um, but we're not positive. It's one of the only two books of the Bible to be named after a woman. It's named after a woman who wasn't a Jew, who at one point in time was actually a pagan. Um, but it's the story of God working in the hearts and lives of individuals. And so tonight, uh, it's only four chapters long. And so I think instead of trying to just teach an overview, um, because of its length, Maybe the best way we can do it is just actually open it up and go through the book of Ruth. And so we, we may not be able to read every word in it, but we're going to try and go through a big chunk and just really take the book of Ruth as it comes. So with that, that opens us up at chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, you're there. And if you're not, you're not. Um, it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now, they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. 
They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So we open up in the book of Ruth with a famine in the land of Israel. And to put it back in context, um, we know from the book of Leviticus, from the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Numbers, that the Lord had told Israel that famine, that drought, would be a result of disobedience. The Lord told them, he gave the nation of Israel a geographical weather promise. Okay, this isn't a promise that applies to Christians in the church today. This is a promise that was specific to the nation of Israel. He said, if you serve me, I will let the crops bear. I will bring forth the rain. And if you don't, one of the means I have at my disposal of getting your attention is to dry up the rain. The Lord is fully in control of the weather, and he's fully able to do that. So if we open up and we realize there's a famine in the land of Israel, we, we can look at it and say, okay, so Israel is in a place of disobedience. They're in a place of not serving the Lord as a nation. And so we get to this man named Elimelech, and Elimelech is faced with this, uh, with this drought. And he comes up with a solution, the solution being, let's go to Moab. Now, the problem with that is that Moab is a pagan nation. Moab is a foreign country that the Lord did not want the Israelites to have anything to do with. But this man's solution to, uh, to really the warnings of God and the judgment of God is to skip town, to not deal with the issues at hand. It's to further the compromise. And we see that, you know, so often in life, right, where it's, you know, it's, it's like when you, when you start telling a lie. Uh, you got to tell a second lie to cover for the first lie. And, and really, you can get yourself in this nasty web very quickly. And so there's a famine as a result of the people's disobedience. But Elimelech looks at that and says, there's a famine. I know what let's do. Let's go to a pagan nation. And oh, by the way, I'll take my kids. And oh, by the way, while they're there, they're going to marry pagan women. What could be more natural? And so we see not only does this impact him, it impacts his wife, it impacts his sons. Right? So we open the book of Ruth, and we don't necessarily see this great godly example. Um, but we're going to see the Lord working in that, which is great for us. Because no matter where we've been, no matter you know, where we've pulled ourselves out from the blessing of the Lord, the Lord is still wanting to work. So this guy, Elimelech, dies. His two sons die. And basically at the end of the first paragraph, you have this woman, Naomi, and her two daughters-in-law. And so... Uh, Verse 6 through 13 basically just sort of says, you know, hey, they, because they died, they're going to be in, in a lot of poverty, which especially in the ancient world was a major, uh, a major reality. Widows had no source of income. There was, no, there was no welfare. There was really no protection for a widow. And so basically Naomi here tells her daughter-in-laws, uh, you guys should go back home and remarry. And they're not really crazy about it because they love Naomi. And so Naomi says, well, I've heard that, uh, I've heard that the famine's ended, and so I'm going to go back home. And they start to come home with her. And so we see, you know, okay, so there was a famine. Famine's ended. This is about 10 years later. So we don't know which judge this is, but there was evidently some sort of period of deliverance. And now there's the blessing of the Lord, which is just part of that cycle that we see over and over in the book of Judges. So... Um, so basically, they're getting closer to the land of Israel, and Naomi says, girls, listen, you really ought to just go back home and get married. Um, and verse 14 says, and they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And that idea would be like, kissed her goodbye, and, and then left. 
And then she, being Naomi, said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So, um, so Ruth gives Naomi this line, says, I'm not going. And it's a super famous line. Um, you know, we hear it a lot at weddings. If you want to keep it in its most biblically accurate context, it's said to the mother-in-law, not to the bride. Um, but Ruth says, hey, you know what? I don't want to leave. I want to, I want to be part of what's happening here. Ruth says, there's something going on. There's, there's something with your God or your faith. There's, and, I'm, and I want to partake of it. I don't want to go back to my gods. I don't want to go back to my people. I want to be part of what God's doing with you. I want to be part of your nation. And so Ruth has this resolve. She is wanting to participate in God's plan. Okay, and so that takes us down to verse 19. It says, so they both went until they came to Bethlehem, which was Naomi's hometown. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? You know, Naomi's been gone for 10 years in a world with no real means of communication. So everybody's, hey, Naomi's back in town. And Naomi said to them, Verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So you have to understand, in the Hebrew language, every name has a very specific meaning. Um, and... You know, in English, sometimes we pick a name because we like the way it sounds. There's nothing wrong with that. But in Hebrew, every letter has a specific idea associated with it. So as you spell out a name, you're actually spelling out a meaning or a phrase or an idea. And so the name Naomi means pleasant. And so everybody says, hey, Naomi's back, you know? The pleasant girl's back in town. And Naomi says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. She says, I've changed my name, Right? Uh, I'm not pleasant anymore. I'm bitter because God has been hard on me. He's afflicted me. Life is hard. And as a result, I'm bitter. And so I would like you all to remind me of the fact that I'm bitter every time you see me. That'll make me feel so much better. And so Naomi's been through some, you know, to be fair, she's been through some rough territory, right? She lost a husband. She lost two sons. Uh, one daughter-in-law left. Naomi's coming back with really nothing. But her response is, you know what, this is just unfair, I'm, and I'm bitter about it, and life is hard, and this is awful. And that is the, that's the unfortunate reality that a lot of people choose to live in, right? That's, that's where people tend to stay. But we see this fun thing where the author of the book of Ruth, uh, whoever he is, refuses to play by her rules. She will never be called Mara in this book, except for when she calls it herself, because her bitterness is going to affect her. And the author says, you know what? I'm sorry. You can still find pleasantness in this life. You, I, I refuse to call you a bitter person. I'm not, going to let that, I'm not going to let that go down. And so throughout the rest of the book, we're going to see her referred to as Naomi, because her name is Naomi, because God is going to remind her that he can still do pleasant things in her life. So that's chapter one. And... Then we find ourselves in chapter 2. It's kind of a, you know, sequence of things. 
Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So the Lord had, now the Lord had specified back in the law that Israel, um, instead of having some sort of welfare system where the government paid for things or provided for things, the poor were to always have a means of feeding themselves if they were willing to work for it. And, um, and I'm trying really hard to make zero commentary on that outside of what's necessary. But um, basically, here's how it worked. When you harvested your field, if you had a field, you were allowed to go through it once. You were not allowed to go back over it. And any poor person could come behind you and pick up whatever you dropped. And that was the welfare system. Anybody who needed food could come find food. So Ruth now is back with Naomi. She's a stranger in town. Employment opportunities are probably pretty scarce for pagan women who are widowed. And so she says, you know what? I need to go, I need to go provide. I need to go find some work. I need to keep moving forward with life. And you got to remember, Ruth and Naomi really went through just about the same thing. I mean, Naomi lost a husband and two sons, but Ruth lost a husband. She lost a father-in-law. She lost a brother-in-law. She lost her sister-in-law who went back home, right? So Ruth has got some reality, some hard life going on too. And Naomi's solution to hardness is, I'm bitter. Ruth's solution is, you know what? I'm going to go work productively towards a viable, you know, path forward. So she winds up coming to the field of this guy named Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of Naomi's. And that'll come back up later in the story. So verse 4, Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. So he shows up to his employees. This doesn't happen too often in employee, employer situations, right? The boss pulls up, gets out of the car. Hey, God bless you guys today. Hey, God bless you too, boss. We're having a great day. Good, glad to hear it. And then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, so, you know, the job foreman, whose young woman is this? Because he notices that Ruth's there and she's not one of his employees. And the servant in charge of the reapers said, she's with, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. So Boaz notices Ruth, asks his foreman, hey, What's this girl doing here? The guy says, hey, she came and asked if she could work. She's been working all day. She's taking her first break right now. Great. So, uh, so then it goes on, and it says, Boaz said to Ruth, verse 8, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you're thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So he says, hey, uh, Ruth, just so you know, I want you to feel free to harvest whatever you want out of my fields. I told all the guys to mind their manners and keep their distance. If you're thirsty, help yourself. Um, which you got to remember in a cultural context, that's a lot of generosity, right? This is a world where there are not a lot of protections for women. And so he's just saying, hey, just so you know, I've got your back a little bit as the boss here. Just want to make sure that you're taken care of. And verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? 
And Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So Ruth says, okay, you know, what's the deal? What's the angle, right? Why are you being nice? And Boaz uh, says, you know what? I've heard, the, I've heard your story. We're in a small town, right? It's like Madison. Uh, somebody shows up with their mother-in-law, you're going to find out about it, right? Uh, he says, I know the story. I know what you're doing. I know that you've basically chosen to become an Israelite. And I hope the Lord blesses you in that. And, you know, a lot of people love the book of Ruth because it really is a great romantic story. And Boaz, you know, we'll get, we'll get to the end of it. Boaz and Ruth wind up getting married. But Boaz notices Ruth and Ruth says, why are you, basically, why are you being nice to me? And Boaz does not say, well, gee whiz, you're just so attractive, right? He, I just, I frankly just think you're the most beautiful woman in the field right now, right? You just, you look great standing next to harvested wheat or barley. I mean, that's just like the sunlight was perfect, you know, whatever. He says, no, I've heard about your character, right? And Boaz admires her character. And as we're going to watch their relationship develop, that's the starting point, right? And... Whatever, you guys all know this, and it's coming from a single guy, so who cares, right? But too often in relationships, uh, there's the sort of the emotional attachment and then the physical attachment, and then, if any, there's a spiritual attachment. And the way the Lord has orchestrated things, ideally, there should be a spiritual attachment and then an emotional attachment and then a physical attachment uh, in the appropriate context, uh, primarily in the context of marriage, right? So in the Lord's scheme of things, a healthy relationship founds on character. And so we, we're seeing that start to play out. We're seeing that start to build. And so uh, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So everybody's having lunch. Ruth is probably too poor to have lunch. Boaz says, hey, there's some extra. Come on over. So she sat beside all the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. So she doesn't eat too much. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and don't insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it so that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz here, he's, you know, he's noticing her, right? This is a guy noticing a gal. It happens. Um, but along the way, he's also giving her some space, and he's also showing her honor, right? He's not waltzing in as the wealthy benefactor dude who's here to make life better. He's saying, he's telling his guys, you know what? I want you to preserve her dignity. You mind your manners. You keep your distance. And she's a hard worker. You can drop some extra grain for her to pick up. Right? She can, I'm, I'm respecting her enough to let her do things the way she's wanted to do it. She wants to work. And we're going to let her work. Um, and so then she gleaned in the field, verse 17, until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's about six gallons. So she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. That's the leftovers from lunch. And her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. 
Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So we see Boaz's generosity. He's also respecting her honor at the same time. Um, but we're gonna, but you know, as this is happening, Ruth just went to work, right? Kind of lucked out, so to speak. She, you know, she comes home and says, hey, I had a really productive work day. And her mother-in-law says, where'd you work? She said, well, I worked in the field of this guy named Boaz. And her mother-in-law says, really? He's our relative. And Ruth says, yeah, he was actually a pretty nice guy. He, you know, was pretty chill. And Naomi says, great. And he offered to let me, you know, work in his fields until the harvest is over. Naomi said, that's great. You've got protection, right? You, you, have, you currently have, uh, basically, stick with the good thing, okay? You've got somebody who is protecting you, somebody who's keeping an eye out for your overall safety. You know, you don't need to go look for better fields to harvest, right? T- stick with this. And, um, but also, Naomi, you know, Naomi's bitter, right? Naomi's, she doesn't want to be called Naomi anymore. That, that's who she used to be. And she says, May he be blessed to the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Naomi can't get away from the blessing of God, right? She can't deny that God is working. Even though she's still tempted to hang on to bitterness, the Lord is still moving. The Lord's still pushing things. He's still pulling things. He's still navigating, right? He's still directing her life. And she's been through rough stuff, and Ruth has been through rough stuff. And the Lord still, and they've both responded in different ways. And the Lord still cares about both of them. He's still working and moving and drawing them both closer to him. And then, so, Ruth uh, works in, the, in Boaz's fields through the barley harvest and to the end of the wheat harvest. And uh, a lot of commentators would say that's probably about two months. So this is going on for a little while. And then, uh, chapter 3 and then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes. And go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. If you're sitting here thinking that sounds really weird, give it just a minute and I'll explain it. So she went to down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. That would be kind of startling. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. We're going to stop right there, even though it's kind of mid-thought. Because it will be more mid-thought if I go on any further. Um, so, we said, you know, the Lord in the law established kind of 
the Israelite welfare system, and that was that the people could work. Well, he also established a means of preserving property rights within the tribes. And so if a person was widowed, a near relative could marry, to keep the, pro- could marry the widow to keep the property within that tribe, to keep it within that family so that it wouldn't then be dispersed because the Lord wanted Israel to have a geographic inheritance and he wanted them to be aware of it. Okay, and even today, we're still discussing Israel's geographic inheritance, right? Because it still matters and people still care and the Lord still cares. The Lord still has a vested interest in the nation of Israel. So basically what, where it's at is Naomi says, hey, we had property and that property is basically going to get lost if there's not an heir through my, ex-husband, through my dead husband's line, all right? And um, basically if Boaz is willing to marry you, then that land stays in the family according to God's plan. So, why don't you go ask Boaz if he wants to marry you? So she does. She says, hey, Boaz, um, what do you think? And, you know, interestingly, just another side note, but I think it's important as we, as we try and live life biblically, all right, the first thing Boaz noticed about Ruth was her character. Um, on the flip side, when Ruth asked Boaz if he's willing to kind of be the guy who comes in to offer her that protection that, you know, because as a widow, she does not have much protection. So she's really asking not just, are you willing to marry me, but are you willing to protect me? Are you willing to be my safeguard? Are you willing to be the person who will watch out for me? And Boaz, his response to her is, you know what? I hope the Lord blesses you because uh, you didn't go up to the young guys. So Boaz admits here that he's not exactly the most attractive guy on the block. Um, and so we see this, you know, a little bit both ways, and it can be a subtle detail, but the Lord is interested in character and hearts, right? The Lord is interested in much more than physical appearances. And, we'll, you know, next week we'll be in 1 Samuel, and the Lord's going to tell the prophet Samuel, men look at the outside, but I look at the heart. That's what the Lord really cares about. Um, so Ruth comes and asks Boaz this. Boaz says, hey, I'm totally down. Verse 12, now, but it is true, I am a close relative, however... There is a relative closer than I. So in the order of things, the closest relative was the one who had to come and fulfill this role of protector. And then if he wouldn't do it, then it would go to the next person, then it would go to the next person. There was a sequence, an order of relationships that it had to go through. Um, Verse 13, now remain this night. And when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he, said to, he gave to me. For he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. So, um, so Ruth stays there through the night. There's nothing weird or immoral about that. She's at his feet. And in case you're thinking, how do you know that? Well, in the morning, he says, don't let anybody know that the woman came to the threshing floor, which means he's telling somebody who was there. So Boaz had been having, if you read it in his context, Boaz had been harvesting with all of his guys. So there's several people here. Ruth happens to be there. It doesn't happen. It's not necessarily super public. Boaz says, hey guys, keep us under the radar for a little bit. I got to do some legwork, right? 
I mean, it's how it happens in Madison all the time, right? If somebody sees you coming out of Lowe's with a fire extinguisher, you tell them, it's not a problem. I just need a fire extinguisher. Um, and, and, you know, he's just saying, he's, let's just cap this before it turns into a matter of gossip because nothing happened. And I don't want to give the appearance that something happened, right? And so Ruth goes home to Naomi. Naomi says, sit tight. I think this guy's probably going to take this all the way through. And he's probably, you know, he's on a roll at this point. So chapter four, Boaz is on a roll at this point. Now Boaz went up to the gate of the city and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So Boaz says, hey, guys, I got some legal stuff I need to get taken care of. I need you for this. I need 10 witnesses for this. Can you guys all come over for just a minute? And they all say, sure. And so they all sat down. And then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to her, or which belonged to our brother Elimelech, sorry. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one but you to redeem it, and I'm after you. Boaz says, hey, Naomi came back. She's got this land. It's supposed to stay within our part of the tribe. You want to redeem it? The guy says, uh, sure. And then verse 5, Boaz said, now, on the day you buy that field, uh, there's one more little thing. You also got to marry Ruth. Uh, she's the widow of the deceased in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. And verse 6, the close relative said, I can't redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You, ha you have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. So the guy says, I really can't marry Ruth. Now whether that's, I think that would cut into my genealogy, whether that's I don't want to go home and tell my wife, you know, what'd you do in town today? Well, I picked up a second wife. Uh, for whatever reason, this guy says, hey, I got to protect my own genealogy. Now, interestingly, the guy in the midst of protecting his own genealogy, we have no idea who he is. His genealogy has, for all records, been lost um, because he was trying to do what was convenient for him. And Boaz says, okay, you know what? If you want to do it that way, I'll take it from here. And so then uh, verse 7 through 12, basically they go through the legal ceremony to wrap it all up. And then uh, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. So, Boaz marries Ruth. They have a son. And then, and, and there's a blessing associated with that. The people of the town recognize God is doing something. God is blessing you. God is blessing Naomi. God is making bitter's life pleasant, right? So that we can justifiably not call her bitter. We can call her pleasant because the Lord is doing pleasant things in her life. He's restoring what's been lost. He's redeeming what's been broken. And then verse 16, as we're wrapping up the book, it says, then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez is the son of, is the son of Judah. To Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. To Ram, Aminadab. To Aminadab was born Nashon. To Nashon was born Salmon. To Salmon was born Boaz. To Boaz, Obed. To Obed, Jesse. And to Jesse, David. 
That is the book of Ruth in a nutshell. But what we have is the story of God doing a work in the midst of a very wicked time. And what we also have is the idea that God is not bound by our expectations. God is not bound by our cultural expectations. God is not bound by our ideas of who qualifies and who doesn't. And even uh, as we look at the law of God in the Old Testament and in, in Deuteronomy, we see some interesting things that we need to just sort of suss out a little bit as we're looking at Ruth. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, you don't have to go there, but the Lord says, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. The Lord says no Moabite is allowed in the tabernacle. They're not allowed to congregate with the Israelites in a religious ceremony. And then he goes on to explain why, because of the way they had done certain things. But did you notice at the very first verse where they wound up going? Land of Moab. Where's Ruth from? She's from Moab. Ruth is a Moabite. So what happened then? Did the Lord contradict his word? Because Ruth is going to wind up having David in her bloodline, who's going to become the leader of the assembly of Israel. She's going to have Solomon, who's going to build the temple. You know, she's going to have Jesus Christ be one of her great descendants. So did the Lord contradict himself? Because Jesus Christ is in the assembly of God right now, right? I mean, he's seated with the Father. No, so what happens? Because the Lord never contradicts his word. Ruth, by the end of the story, is not a Moabite. Ruth has been adopted into the Israelite family. Ruth has become an Israelite. She's been part, become part of the family of God. Now, as we look at, you know, Ruth and Judges in particular, and we're comparing them and saying, you know, God is doing something on an individual level in the midst of a chaotic time. Well, what do we know about our lives? We know that we have been adopted, right? We were outside the will of God. We were outside the family of God, and now we've been brought in. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 11, he uses the analogy of a tree. He says, guys, you got to understand, you're Gentiles. You're not part of the family of God. You've been grafted onto the family tree, right? We don't belong. Every single one of us, by our own sin, has cut ourselves off from the presence of God. We've all cut ourselves off from ever having fellowship with God, but we've been grafted back on, just like Ruth. We've been grafted back on, and you know, that doesn't make life unhard. That doesn't make life easy. That, what that does do is equip us to have the ability, unlike Naomi, to say, wow, life's hard and I'm bitter, to say, wow, life's hard, but I'm in the family of God. I'm back in Israel now, so let's get to work, right? That's Ruth is, uh, you know, where is Jesus Christ in the book of Ruth? It's the whole story, right? I mean, and, you know, when we see these hints in, in Boaz and Ruth, and there's some similarities there between Jesus Christ and the church as his bride. There's, a, you know, all these pictures in here of Ruth being brought into the family of God, just like we've been brought into the family of God, right? And the Lord is going to use Ruth. Ruth's line is going to become the most influential line in the history of of the world, right? Ruth is gonna be the great-grandmother of King David. David's one of the most influential kings in the world. Do you know on your, on your deck of bicycle playing cards, there's four kings? Do you know who they are? I forget, but one of them is King David. King David, Julius Caesar, 
I think Charlemagne and Alexander the Great, maybe. But one of them is King David. So every time you play euchre, that's reflected because Ruth went back to Israel. Okay, David is going to wind up writing, uh, I think, close to half of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. And David comes into existence because a pagan woman who's widowed, who has really no hope or future, says, I want to be part of the family of God. I want to be part of what God's doing. I want to let go of the life I knew and embrace the life that God is bringing. Right? That's the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is really the gospel. It's the good news. It's good news for Ruth. It's good news for Boaz. It's good news for us. Because all of us, just like Ruth, can make that same choice. We can all choose to enter into the family of God through Jesus Christ. We all still need that protector, just like Ruth needed Boaz. And we have it. We have the protection of Jesus Christ. We have the fullness of God. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we have intense relevance. The book of Ruth has intense relevance for our lives today. That's why we read the Word of God. That's why we read the Bible. Next week is going to take us to 1 Samuel. And uh, 1 Samuel is kind of a, it's part of a two-parter, 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel. I think we'll do them each in two weeks. I think we'll do 1 Samuel one week and 2 Samuel the next week. Um, but we're going to look at 1 Samuel. We're going to look at the descendants of Ruth and what happens. All right? So God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for the, the beauty in it and, and the relevance that it has for our lives today. We pray that we would uh, live with that mindfulness and that awareness that like Ruth, we've been brought into the family of God, not because of our merit, not because of anything we've done, but just because you love us, just because you created us to be able to know you and because you were willing to graft us in to, to, the, to the vine. You were willing to, to let us become part of what you're doing. And we thank you for that, God. We're humbled by that. We pray that it would be a truth that changes the way we live, that impacts our actions on a day-to-day -day basis. So please have your way with us. Uh, use us, God. Help us to know you more and more through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.